This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash TheObsessiveViewer, and you can support us on Patreon at the minimum rate of $1 per month for exclusive content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. You can find that at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. And, uh, yeah, so I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt, and with me today is Ben Sears. Greetings. How is it going? You're making your return to the podcast after you were on episode 314, I think, uh, where we talked about devs and stuff. Um, Uh, yeah. Uh, first in-person appearance since, uh, uh, whatever episode that was with Tiny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it's right. a much different world from how it was back then. Oh, absolutely. And like like you said, like we are uh we are in person here, yep. which uh you know, uh, hopefully we we don't die. Hopefully it's okay. We're both wearing hazmat suits. We are. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, it's you know, I I I've struggled with it because like Tiny and I recorded Tower Junkies the other day and I was thinking about that. I was like, is it really a good idea to have him come over for it? Cause it was the first time, it was the first time I've seen Tiny in person in four months. <laughs> and this is someone that he and I record like once a week for, give or take once a week, like for seven years. So it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy. So you both cried when you first saw each other. We, and... we did. We did. It was one of those things. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> uh, I wish I would have done this, damn it, when, uh, to do the predator thing when like Tiny came in, I would have been like, Tiny, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did not think to do that. But, um, but yeah, cause you were, you were on episode 309 when you were in person. That was the one that had the big cliffhanger ending or not cliffhanger ending, but more like the, like, oh, everything's about to change on the podcast uh, feed ending yeah. where you revealed that Tom Hanks had COVID-19. Yep. Yes. And Rita Wilson. So, yeah. And now they're both recovered and fine. <laughs> I was going to say dead, but that's a little dark. Um, <laughs> not yeah. that we know of. Not that we know of. Yeah. I don't know. Um, they could be clones and stuff. I don't know. Did you watch the Saturday Night Live um, social distancing thing? Where... No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I... I didn't watch, I haven't seen any of the SNL episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not yet watched the, uh, Parsing Recreation episode. Ah, that is, it's so, it's fine. Like, content wise, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's above average. Okay. Um, and it, it's good, but just, just the experience of like, these characters interacting with each other again is like, it is a very special like thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did watch the mythic quest quarantine episode oh, on okay. Apple TV and it nice. was, it was fine. Okay. I remember you mentioning, uh, you brought up, I think in 
episode uh, 309, um, you brought up Mythic Quest. And uh, yeah, how's that show fared for you in, in the interim since you talked about it on the show? Still recommend. Nice. Um, I'm pretty sure, it, yeah, it, it got renewed for season two. So mm. uh, check it out, everyone out there, if you can. Sweet. Um, yeah, so uh, by the way, on this episode, we're going to be reviewing a couple of movies. Uh, we're going to talk about The Vast of Night, which is currently on Amazon Prime. And we're going to talk about The King of Staten Island, uh, Judd Apatow's new movie with Pete Davidson, uh, which is currently um, available to rent at the ridiculous price of $20. Um, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, actually, that's not a spoiler. I, I You may be surprised. Um, oh. But I think more it's more a fact of like, okay, $20 for a rental is like, even with this special circumstance, it's like, okay, like I'm, I would have been fine if it was like $10 or even 12 Like if it was comparable to the price of a movie ticket in the theater, like I understand that you can watch it multiple times. Um, and you have it for an extended period of time, but it's like $20. I mean, I might watch it again in the next 48 hours because I actually did enjoy it, but I don't like it's two hours and 17 minutes. I I don't know if I'll have time to, and I don't like I've already seen it. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know, but, but yeah. Um, on that note though, um, (laughs) I do have some news to go through. Do you want to talk about some news? Let's do it. Okay, sweet. So, um, AMC, have you been following the news that broke last night? A little bit, yeah. Okay, so AMC sent out this, what I thought was a pretty, pretty nicely worded, um, and comforting, like, email to all of its, like, Stubbs members and everything. And it said that they are plan their relaunch date is going to be July 15th. I'll just read from it. Um, Today I'm writing you with the good news that coming soon, movies will be returning to the big screen at AMC theaters throughout the United States. We now expect that on Wednesday, July 15th, AMC will open approximately 450 theater locations around the country, representing more than 90% of movie going at AMC. And uh, he said, this is from like the CEO, like a thing. Um, We will be showing new releases as well as classic movies that are widely known and loved. And essentially, all of our uh, U.S. theaters should reopen by the end of July. Um, so, and it goes on to say, this means that AMC will be there for you with open arms, welcoming you to enjoy Disney's inspiring Mulan and the Warner Brothers release of Christopher Nolan's intriguing Tenet, along with several several more blah 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 blah. Um, and like it goes on, and like it is, it is kind of come. I guess so like they're talking about how they are going to implement a lot of like new things like they're going to have hand sanitizers and stuff they're going to have like very strict uh, like cleaning thing they're like partnering with Clorox or something to really make sure everything is clean and constantly clean Um, they're only going to do like 50% capacity I think Mm -hmm. Um, they're going to have signage up to notate like six feet apart and everything um, so it goes in detail and everything. And one thing before we get to the big, um, backlash thing, um, is that, uh, like in talking to Fekus 
he had like he'd said like he thought that AMC A list was going to be done like they weren't going to bring it back. Um, but it says it, what I found interesting was like a paragraph that says AMC Stubbs A list, AMC Stubbs Premier, and AMC Stubbs Insiders members are among AMC's most precious customers, and you can be sure we will be implementing a whole host of steps to encourage you to rejoin at, uh, rejoin us at AMC as well. So it's just interesting that like they're referencing A list because. I mean, man, I would be surprised if uh, they really brought it back um, hmm. right from the jump. But uh, the email also addresses the rumors of the financial woes of AMC. Yeah. Um, and I'll go ahead and just read this, too, and then we can kind of discuss it. But finally, I am pleased to report that AMC Theaters is in an excellent financial position to welcome you back to our movie theaters. In recent <laughs> weeks, you may have seen or read speculation about AMC's future. In this time of great uncertainty, if I never hear that sentence again... Ugh. Um, no kidding. Uh, where facts are in short supply, speculation and guessing sometimes becomes the norm. Somehow that speculation can become conventional wisdom, and that conventional wisdom in turn can be reported as truth. Let me say to all of you that so much of the speculation about AMC that was prevalent in the last several weeks was just plain wrong. In April, we successfully raised a half a billion dollars of new investment capital for AMC, and fortunately that puts us now in a position of considerable strength. Um... So that's all well and good. That's interesting and everything. However, and I don't know if it was in this email, but at like the CEO, um, uh, Adam Aaron said that the AMC theaters were not going to, uh, nice. Okay. Uh, said AMC theaters are not going to require, uh, guests to wear masks in yeah. the building. And, he said that specifically because they didn't want to be drawn into a political controversy. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. <laughs> ben, what was your reaction to all of this news? And are you, are you going to go to a movie theater uh, next I, month? <laughs> I certainly hope I do well. Because, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been one of the biggest things that I've been missing since they all closed. Mm-hmm. Um but whether, you know, the whole wearing mask thing is just dumb. It's not a political thing. Uh, yeah. It's it's Ugh. only political if you make it. Right. Um, I don't know. Just wear a stupid mask. Yeah. It's so I am so angry every time I see because it's I, I don't understand why it's a thing, why it's an issue. Like, I don't understand why people can't just fucking wear a mask <laughs> and be fucking done with it. Because it's not <laughs> – I've said this before on the podcast. It's not about you. It's not about, like, any – like, uh, oh, so I don't re uh, retread other stuff um, that I've said. There was a tweet thread from Heather Ann Campbell – who is one of the one of the executive producers and writers for the new Twilight Zone series? Um, I'm just going to read this Twitter thread. Um, she had for for context, um, she had uh, cancer in 2019, I think, and like she had she had surgery and everything. Like she's cancer free from from the sound of it now. So so uh, keep that in context. But obviously with that, she has like appointments and stuff she has to go to. 
So her tweets, which are at Heather or at Heather Campbell, is so at my appointment with my doctor today, they told me that many cancer surgeries are being pushed back three to four months because of the number of general COVID cases. When you choose not to wear a mask, it's not about it's not just about whether you'll get sick. Uh, maybe you'll get lucky and you'll be fine, or maybe your blood will turn as thick as syrup. Your skin will tighten, and you'll get permanent heart, kidney, and lung damage as a twenty-year-old. But either way, you're affecting others, and not just with COVID. It's about the ripple effects, too. Cancer patients can't get treatment because you're spreading the virus. Surgeries are being postponed, and people are suffering, and they're not being counted as corona deaths. Wear a fucking mask, or you're committing manslaughter. That's it. (laughs) That's how it is. Who gives a shit about your feelings? If Who fucking cares if you don't like the way it makes you look or feel? Fuck that. Wear a mask and save lives, maybe even your own. Um. So, yeah. Uh. And I... Agree. It's it's not an issue. Anyway, what do you think? <laughs> I I agree as well. Yeah. Um. I mean, you and I are both glasses wearers, and yes, yes, wearing a gla- wearing a mask with glasses on is annoying and obnoxious. Yeah. But I can get through it. I mean, right. Granted, I I don't work at a place where I have to have it on for mm. you know eight hours at a time. Or, right. Uh you know, for a long period of time, but it's, it's not the end of the world. Just wear a stupid mask. It's, it's not the end of the world, but if you don't wear a mask, it might be. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, it's just, it's so aggravating. Just the, just the entitled, like sense of entitlement that people have and just this just i don't give a fuck attitude Mm -hmm. is just really insane and i say that having uh stopped the social distancing process of the podcast and having you here (laughs) but um yeah i don't i don't know so well to to talk about uh amc again um part of i i'm trying really hard not to be cynical about this but the uh I find it a little annoying that the first uh, major or really any release or whatever Mm -hmm. after AMC is opening is going to be a Disney movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Granted, I don't think there are going to be any records broken or anything. Right. uh, It's, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm sure I'm in the minority there. Yeah. I'm very curious what, classic movies they're going to show like they said i'm very curious about that um and so i and i'll also say that today being the day after that release uh they backtracked and they said okay after the backlash yes we will have everyone wear a mask everyone will be required to wear a mask which makes me happy and also (laughs) did you did you watch nathan for you uh yeah it's been a while okay so i (laughs) I was trying to find it on YouTube, um, but unfortunately this particular clip wasn't on YouTube. But there is a bit where he helps a movie theater, um, and the movie theater is uh, – the the ridiculous plan that he implements in the movie theater is to uh, uh, ban people from sharing concessions. So people have to buy their oh, own concessions. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And so that he goes into the theater during the movie <laughs> and he asks people very loudly and disruptively to stop sharing their concessions and everything. <laughs> and so he does this thing where <laughs> they have like the theater owner says, like, another problem is that people are masturbating in the theater. <laughs> and so they get like a cork board 
with with pictures of the people that are sharing concessions and they have it labeled as uh concession sharers and theater masturbators <laughs> and like they bring the people in and they're like but i didn't masturbate and they're like, yeah well we just had one we, we just have one board so just make it easier but my thing is i would love it if the movie theaters did that for people that wouldn't wear masks and just had like theater masturbators and non-mask wearers yep um yeah, so that has made me um enjoy that. But but yeah, I'm glad that they did the fucking common sense thing and are going to make people wear masks. Um because I like in the concession line and everything and in just the lobby and everything, I can like obviously people are in close quarters and stuff, but also just thinking like people in a movie theater in an enclosed space with air cycling through them and everything, like just it's uh it's just a hotbed. Yeah. Yeah. Which that that kind of reminds me. Um, so I, I was going to ask you, um, the uh, drive-in movie theater has kind of made a comeback recently. It has, and I haven't been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should. I I should, but I yeah. I don't know. Have you been to any drive-ins? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, but I was going to ask you if you have any uh, drive-in movie theater memories or oh. anything particular that you remember seeing I, at the drive-in? I do, but let me go ahead and yeah, okay. Um yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll let's let's do this. So one of my <laughs> So I have three drive-in movie theater memories that I'll go through. Uh I'll go in order like I'll go in reverse order so the most recent first. Um, a couple of years ago, my friends in Dayton, Ohio, they came to visit and everything, and we got a group together and we went to see a double feature of A, a Quiet Place and um, <laughs> Super Troopers 2. <laughs> um, weird double bill there, but uh, that was a lot of fun. It was awesome. It was really cool um, at the Tibbs drive-in here on the west side of Indy. And then the <laughs> back in 2013... Um, I was, uh, seeing someone and we went and saw a movie in the drive and we saw, wow, what did we see? Um, the conjuring. Um, okay. and it was, it was fine. Like it was fine. Um, I prefer the Tibbs driving cause this was out of another town. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the farther back one is one of my earliest like movie memories. Um, my dad took me and my siblings to see a double feature of both Bill and Ted movies <laughs> at the drive-in. And um, I don't have much memory of it or anything, but uh, I do remember it and everything. And as an aside, like, it's weird because, like, now, like, we're gearing up for Bill and Ted Face the Music being the third movie and everything. I have no allegiance to that fa- franchise. Yeah. I don't really care about it. And... I haven't even like seen the trailer or anything, but like people are going crazy about it. And I'm just like, so just, I'm just so uninterested in it. So where are you at with Bill and Ted? Uh, I, I also haven't seen the, the trailer. Um, okay. I, I know I've seen, uh, whatever the first one is awesome adventure or, um, Bogus journey or something. Uh, uh yeah. Whatever the first one is. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen that one. And then I've seen bits and pieces of the other one. 
Okay. Uh, where they have they they like fight the robot versions of themselves. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. I I just remember they used to be on Comedy Central all the time. And oh I would yeah. Check them out there. But cool. yeah, I I might see it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's twenty dollars on VOD, I'm not gonna. Buy yeah, really. <laughs> rent it. Um, I I. It's coming out in what August? Sometime I in August. Think so. So yeah. I I don't know what else is coming out around then. It mm. depends. Okay. So. Uh, how about your driving theater memories? Um, I can really only remember two, and I know I saw more than this as a kid. But I remember seeing The Lion King Ooh, nice. uh, as a kid, and then. Like I said, I I know that I went to more than that, but I just can't mm-hmm. remember what it was. And it was at the uh, – there used to be one in Claremont. That's where the Bill and Ted one was for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I I can't remember. For some reason, I want to say I might have seen Grease when it was, like, re-released okay. in, in the 90s or something. Hmm. I I doubt it. Maybe it's just because I think there's like a drive-in movie theater scene in that movie, um, but that that's the one that sticks out for me is The Lion King, um, and then I saw The Dark Knight in 2008. Nice. At, uh, there's a uh, drive-in in Mooresville, okay. and I went to see it there. So sweet. I I don't think I've ever gone to any like double features uh, oh, yeah. driving though that that for whatever reason i never did mm-hmm. but nice. um uh, yeah I, i'm glad that they're making a comeback now mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah uh so am i and uh i should go check it out sometime <laughs> yeah hopefully it sticks around hopefully yeah. people uh still do it oh yeah like i know the tibbs drive-in has been very successful each like it's still it's still very successful and everything mm-hmm. like on like a Friday and Saturday night like if you go down West Washington Street past uh Holt Holt yeah um like the line of cars that are like oh. waiting to pull into the drive-in is like out like toward the light at at Washington Holt nice but, yeah um yeah so also another thing is that next Friday, next Friday is June 26th. It happens to be my 34th birthday. Um, and I have the day off and everything. And I saw that the downtown IMAX at, here in Indy is opening back up that day. Hmm. And they're going to be showing, um, I don't know if it's all the same day or like they're, I, they're like what they're going to have. Um, oh God, I can't remember the other ones, but the one that stood out was Blade Runner, the final cut. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. Because um, one <laughs> of the things I like to do on my birthday, provided I have the day off from work, is I like to go see a movie. Like, last year I didn't really do that, but I did see Godzilla King of the Monsters in uh, the night before my birthday. But, um, but yeah, and, like, I've... I like to do that. And now, like, I've been thinking, like, oh, crap, I can't do that now because they don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, but I saw that and I was like, I could do it. I could, I could do it. Yeah, but, for sure. Yes. But they also, in their press release, said masks are encouraged, but we're not going to 
require them of our guests. Hmm. And I'm like, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Right. So, yeah. So, I don't know. Blade Runner, the final cut <laughs> in an IMAX theater, severe respiratory illness. And or death. And or death. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Or transmitting it to someone you know and love. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. So uh, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. But I'll probably just stay home. But yeah. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that this is the start of things starting to turn back to normal? Because I know that there's obviously just the idea of like like uh, Anthony Fauci probably mispronouncing yeah. his name um has said like we're still in the first wave like they like and obviously the government is fucking ridiculous <laughs> um so it's it's i don't know do you see like things opening up and everything as being a uh an idea that is good or <laughs> uh how are, how are you, how's your anxiety right now uh you know i i've been seeing a, a lot of headlines about like possibilities of a second wave and things having to shut down again because we're we're just not at the level of where we need to be. Right. I saw a uh, a graphic the other day that had like the the timeline from like what February or March to mm-hmm. now of cases in different countries. I think it was like I saw that too. Italy and Spain and I think Germany mm-hmm. and us and Italy and Spain and Germany are all like, you know, March and April and then completely down. And then us, we're just like up and then down just a little bit. Yeah. Just nowhere close to how other countries are doing it. So, yep. Uh, it's 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 fucked up. Um it it really is. The um, the thing that gives me comfort I guess is that people are kind of catching on and um I I see a lot I work downtown and so I mm-hmm. go and walking around a lot downtown and I see a lot of people wearing masks and nice. just about every business you go in has like tape marked off for social distancing and some places are <laughs> either requiring or strongly encouraging people to wear masks. So, yeah. um, that's, that's comforting a little bit, yeah. you know, the city even has, uh, signs up on like the street corners, mm-hmm. um, like street signs saying like social distancing and stuff. So yeah, that's I've cool. seen that. Yeah. Yeah, um, there was a really good, um, Onion article <laughs> that was, uh, City Enters Phase 4 of Pretending Coronavirus is Over. <laughs> um, I just, I really liked that. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just coughed, so that is <laughs> death. Um, what, what, a, what gives me a little anxi- anxiety, and this is probably just unique to me, but, mm. Uh, I have a soon to be five year old who's supposed to be starting kindergarten in the fall. Oh yeah. And so Lord only knows what that's going to be like. Mm. So, uh, who knows? Wow. Have they said anything? Like, Uh, no, (laughs) it's, it's been a whole thing and probably enough to start another podcast for it. (laughs) Um, 
But long story short, no. Uh, they've been very. Uh, they've been dragging their feet really on Jeez. even just registration for kindergarten. He's really technically still not registered yet. So dang, and through no fault of our own, I should add. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what what school is going to look like. Whether they're mm. all going to have to wear masks or, uh, I don't know. If they're going to yeah. do e-learning or what. Hmm. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I've said this before and I, I'm just very interested in the content that's going to come out after yeah. like, everything returns to normal. Like the documentaries, the, like how, cause they're, we have the internet and everything. So we have a pretty wide net of a viewpoint of what's going on, uh, like, in our communities and everything, but I'm just really interested to see like different sides that aren't being as heavily reported right now and how it's affecting them and everything. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. What I'm curious about is, um, since the theaters have been closed down, I, I Mm. haven't really asked you this already, but, Mm. uh, have you done a whole lot of like VOD rentals or, um, Really, what I've been doing is the time that I would have normally spent in a movie theater, I just, I go and park outside of one, and yeah. I just have, like, this candle, mm-hmm. and I'm weeping uncontrollably, so I don't have a lot of time for VOD rentals. <laughs> and you have uh, vagrants that pass by just act out different <laughs> movies. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I haven't really been doing much renting or anything um really i've been taking the opportunity to watch a little bit more tv and to relaunch anthology so i've been kind of diving into twilight zone and everything and yeah because i have a thing with uh rentals like digital rentals where i have a tendency to rent a movie and then think oh i have 30 days to watch this (laughs) And then, uh, it will soon lapse. Uh, I, I've, I've wasted rentals before, uh-huh. um, because I just kind of just, I'm like, oh, I think I have this much time left. And nope, it's, it's expired. <laughs> um, yeah, but like I've rented the King of Staten Island. I did rent, I haven't watched it yet. And I just now remembered that I rented it, uh, the assistant. Um, which I think you've seen. Yes. Okay. Good movie. Nice. Um, it was on Vudu to rent for ninety nine cents. So I was like, okay, oh, yeah, that's a steal. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna watch that at some point. Um, probably, or I'm going going to forget about it. But, uh, but yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, I've I've rented uh, a decent amount. I nice. think. Um, not as many as I would have liked to, but. I think one of the few positives of uh theaters being closed down is that like especially here in Indy like it's kind of a independent movie wasteland yeah. like yeah we've got the Keystone Theater and mm-hmm. uh we should have had the Can Can Theater right um but really like the the um Keystone Theater, like, if they they might have, you know, a movie or two a month that I would want to see that, you know, isn't available elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, they, they might only be there for, you know, two weeks or so. And I there's a good probability that I would miss it. And yeah. 
not be able to see it. So I think one of the positives is that those movies that I would have missed out on, I can just rent any time and mm-hmm. pay the same amount, if not less, than a movie ticket to go. Yeah. Um, and it's it's been a great way to get access to mm-hmm. smaller independent movies that I would not have had the chance to see otherwise. Yeah, like you, uh, that one... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that you wrote a review of um the blood the bloody nose empty pockets yeah bloody nose empty pockets had yeah. not heard about it at all mm-hmm. um also deerskin yeah um yeah yeah i don't i don't think any, either of those movies would have played here in indy no uh yeah so uh, i i would have had to probably wait until they came out on vod or Redbox or something mm-hmm. um I wow, what was I gonna say? Something about that. Something. About, oh, um, I've also had um a few screeners that I've gotten just from studios. So I wrote a review of seventy seven five seven five hundred or seven five zero zero seventy five hundred. The new Joseph Gordon Levitt. Le- okay. Joseph Gordon Levitt movie. Um, that's on obsessiveviewer.com. It and the movie is on Amazon Prime now. But that, and then I have a review for Irresistible. That's going to come out on Monday. Um, that is uh, John Stewart's new movie. Yeah. Um, Looking forward to that. Yeah, which that's hitting VOD next week. Next week. Yeah, on 26. the 26th. Yep. Um, so I've I've had that opportunity, but not much of that opportunity. Um, but yeah, and and really, it's been about. Aside from watching stuff for podcasts, it's been, you know, trying to catch up on some, some, uh, streaming stuff. Like, I watched a few things on HBO Max, but that was mostly because I was planning on doing an HBO Max episode. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I'll get around to that or not, cause I am, uh, <clears throat> shameless plug. I am, uh, about to do my bonus review series on anthology of The Twilight Zone <laughs> season two on CBS All Access. And, uh, they made the great decision, uh, to launch the season on June 25th. Um, so next Thursday. And they're launching the entire season all in one go, like Netflix does. So. Nice. Yeah, which is great. But also it's like, okay, I have 10 episodes. <laughs> I need to review 10 episodes, um, in a, in a short time. Cause I don't want to do like 10 weeks of reviewing something that people have already watched 10 weeks ago. Right. So yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, so that's taking up a lot of my time, but yeah. Um, any other news or anything, or should we get to our reviews? Actually? I don't think I have anything. Okay, cool. So we are going to be reviewing movies that I do not have, um, up on my, uh, screen here. So, which do you want to do first? We're going to do The King of Staten Island and The Vast of Night. Um, would you want to do Vast of Night first? Sure. Okay, sweet. So, first up, we're going to review The Vast of Night, which is currently available on Amazon Prime. Uh, the Vast of Night is a movie. Um, uh, first-time director, <clears throat> or first-time feature director, and uh, co-writer of it is Andrew Patterson, and other co-writer is Craig W. Sanger. Uh, the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is in the twilight of the 1950s, on one fateful night in New Mexico, 
young switchboard operator Faye and charismatic radio DJ Everett discover a strange radio frequency or strange audio frequency that could change their small town in the future in the future forever. Um, this movie stars Sierra McCormick as Faye Cocker of Crocker and Jake Horowitz as Everett Sloan. Um, so Ben, how did you, let's, let's do a non-spoiler review and then a spoiler review. How did you feel about the vast of night and, uh, how's it, how has it sat with you? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had seen and heard, uh, positive things for the most part and uh i would say it lived up to my expectations it's a solid little uh very small scale Mm -hmm. uh independent type sci-fi movie Mm -hmm. and uh i was i was pretty happy with it nice so spoiler alert i (laughs) loved it yeah um it is so I just mentioned Anthology, anthologypod.com. Um, it's my solo podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, and I do co- um, other uh, contemporary, classic and contemporary science fiction anthology shows. And I had heard The Vast of Night, like, I'd heard people say, like, oh, this has a good Twilight Zone feel to it. <laughs> and... I was like, okay, that's, I mean, a lot of things do, like, like, people, people will say that, and, you know, it's fine, but the first frame of this freaking movie (laughs) is an imitation of a Rod Serling kind of impression, doing a very much Twilight Zone, um, uh, narration, or opening, opening narration, and then it, like, it's zooming in on a black and white TV, like a classic black and white TV, and then it just says Par- Paradox Theater. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> this is my movie. <laughs> I, I had a feeling it would be up your alley. Yeah, I was, like, I paused the movie, and I was like, I tweeted at, on my anthology um, uh, Twitter account, I was just floored by it. I was uh, floored by it. And then if that wasn't enough... Um, when you get into, into the actual movie, the first scene is in the, in the high school and the high school and the town, the town is called Cayuga and the high school is Cayuga high school. And Cayuga is the name of the production company that Rod Serling created basically for, uh, to produce the twilight zone. Hmm. And Cayuga is an area of New York, a town in New York where he and his family went on vacation all the time. And that's like where that kind of came from so i like i loved that and then and then the uh that's awesome yeah and the the radio dj's name his name is everett sloan i didn't catch his like full name until i saw the end credits and i was like everett sloan and everett sloan was an actor who made like one appearance on the twilight zone in 1959 in the episode the fever which (laughs) is an it's a i mean it's an okay episode it's just weird like they picked that name for it but (laughs) but anyway so i was just i was just floored by that like so floored by that um but then it just i mean the movie itself like i was just really enamored with it um it goes it it's a it's i don't want to say it's a slow burn because that feels like it's has some negative connotations but it's a very like meditative movie yeah and just that opening scene of everett and Faye. 
walking around where um <laughs> uh doing like a prototypical podcast thing <laughs> like they're doing interviews and they're recording the interviews and stuff the snappiness of the dialogue and the yeah. back and forth was just ridiculously good yeah it's um, a really well-written movie I, absolutely. I really enjoyed the screenplay yes it was it was beautiful um and then the way it just like like even the way that they performed it like there's this um not sense of urgency per se but like this pacing of their of their dialogue that it's like they're they're it's almost like they're cramming in as much content as they can yeah but it feels more organic more organic than that and it's just like it's a really fast it's kind of like an Aaron Sorkin kind of thing yeah um but not <laughs> an Aaron Sorkin thing but not as uh I don't want to say pompous but like not as it's it's a more grounded Aaron Sorkin thing um yeah yeah and it's it's like like the the stuff that they're actually talking about isn't really all that consequential right like in in terms of the overall movie mm-hmm. um like if you miss a line or two you're not gonna yeah. you know be lost the rest of the movie mm-hmm. but it's just there's just so much else going on like he's uh everett is like re- interacting with the people and mm-hmm. he's like uh he doesn't he like steal one of the trombones or something something like that yeah <laughs> and uh <laughs> There, there's these people that are coming in for this basketball game. There's mm-hmm. the basketball warm-ups going on and just all kinds of stuff going on around them where they're just kind of walking and talking. Yeah. And if I remember right, it's it's either all or mostly just in one long take, that there's, opening scene. Yeah, there are very long stretches in that yeah. opening scene in the, in the high school. Uh-huh. Like definitely a lot of that is in one... Uh, one one take and it's it's impressive yeah um like i might jump ahead a little bit but like the camera work in this movie was astounding like, oh yeah it's it's mind-boggling so good. oh yeah like there was that one that one tracking shot um i think they did it twice but um throughout the movie but that the first time it's just it's going from the radio station to the uh to the high school all in like one take yeah. and into the high school around the basketball court up into the stands through the window and then back into the town. And, uh, I think it's, I don't know where it's I, going. I think, I think it those, starts out where she's at at the, the switchboard. switchboard or whatever. Yeah. And, and then, then it, it goes to the radio yeah. station. That's right. Or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was just like, like I, I, I was just blown away by that. I paused and I was like, this is incredible. And yeah. like, I ended up looking up and, uh, how they did it. Cause I was like, I was thinking like, is that a drone? But it's really close to the ground and yeah. it's really fast. And I don't know how they did it. And, uh, I'll, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to this, but the, uh, um, cinematographer did an interview and said that it was uh, a go-kart. They used a go-kart for it. <laughs> um, and I don't know how they did it with the rest of it, with, with it when it got to it, but like, wow. it just, it's really, really, in, really impressive. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I also want to point out, I'm, I'm looking at the trivia. Um, I didn't put this together, but I think this is just delightful. Uh, the radio station call letters are W-O-T-W and it's an homage to War of the Worlds. Nice. Which I think is really satisfying. I see what they did there. Yep. So this movie, like, 
to be fair, not a lot really happens, mm-hmm. but that's not a critique of it from me. It's more just an observation. <laughs> um, the big like moments in it are mostly people talking. Yeah. And like people listening to people talking. Like there are two big set pieces where it's just people talking to the main characters. Um, how did you feel about the story and, and about the way that it handled those, what would have been exposition dumps, but are really, um, informative to the plot? Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that they were really, really well executed. Um, nice. there's, cause yeah, I mean, it mostly takes place either in the switchboard facility mm-hmm. or the radio station. Yeah. And then there's one scene late where it's at like someone's house. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's the, the majority of how it's done. And I, you really have to, I don't know, you don't necessarily have to pay close attention, I guess, but just, it, it's kind of hard not to, you know? Right. Um, they, they just draw you in just with the way that it's done and the performances mm-hmm. and just really subtle performances and really understated. There, there could have been a way where they just like go really big, yeah. the actors. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that it's a little like quieter and a mm. little more, uh, haunting, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very much atmosphere based, and yeah. it really develops that atmosphere in a really really great way. And I I was a little confused about it at first, but mm-hmm. um, looking back, I I definitely understand why they did it, and I'm appreciative of why they did it. But there's one scene, I think it's uh, I'm blanking on it now. I think it might be when Everett is like interviewing someone on the radio and the screen just goes black for yeah. a solid like minute or two. Yeah. Um, it's when, uh, the character of Billy is telling his story about yeah. like hearing the frequency and everything. Okay. Um, I noticed that too. It, it kind of felt like, <laughs> it kind of felt like a placeholder moment. Right. Like they were going to like, the intention was to do a flashback, but I don't know. I think the finished product was uh, it didn't detract from it for for me. Yeah, I've not, I don't think I've ever seen that done before, where a screen just yeah. goes black just uh, for seemingly no reason, but mm-hmm. it really it really just helps you just focus on the dialogue and yeah. Um, I mean, you're not really missing out on anything. It's just right. him listening to this guy tell a story, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's. The the direction overall is really great, and yeah. uh, I'm really excited for to see what uh, what was his name Andrew Patterson um, Andrew Patterson I believe I, yeah. I'm really excited to see what he does next. Me too. Hopefully he gets some buzz of, about this and gets some people some bigger you know bigger backing from this and I is able yeah. to put some more money into what he does. I really hope so too, and. The, um, the way that the movie kind of has, like, the way it handles, like, its act breaks, or, or it breaks up the acts as, like, going back to, like, the TV and, like, 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 fate, like, like, zooming more into it and then transitioning into it. It was just, like, 
just that kind of technique it's not needed but it really enhances that feeling like because i like i said it's like feels like a twilight zone type of thing yeah and it's just it's beautiful um and like as much as i like in general don't like this idea or i don't like the um idea of what i'm about to say um (laughs) i would love him i would love for him to do more like like make another movie like this but have like have that paradox theater thing be like this framing device for like a series of movies kind of like the cloverfield movies to an extent but really good yeah i mean Um, you could do just about anything with that kind of framing device oh yeah um yeah that oh that was uh Really good. Do you want to go into spoilers? Sure. Okay. So we're going to spoil The Vast of Night now. Go see it on Amazon Prime and uh, come back when you've listened to that. If you want to skip over to our The King of Staten Island review, check the show notes of this episode, which can be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV318 um, for the timestamps. Um to switch to our review of the King of Staten Island. So uh, here's a clip from the trailer and uh, for The Vast of Night, and then we're going to go into spoilers for The Vast of Night. This is WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Now, what would you like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Well, aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. Faye, the sound came through the board and interrupted your radio show. What sound? What's going on, Everett? 718 here at WOTW. We got a sound we'd like to play that seems to be bouncing around the valley tonight. Yes, I have a story that might be helpful. I can tell you what's going on. The sound we heard out in the desert, it was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly. They've come here before. They've liked this place. They always have. Pizza don't know. No. <laughs> no. But I wanna. No. Okay, I'll just cater to your whims then. So what she's been doing is whenever I get up from my seat, she will immediately steal my seat. (laughs) She will immediately sit down exactly where I was sitting and then look at me like I'm an asshole. Yep. (laughs) And uh, it's kind of ridiculous. And then I keep, I do this thing where I'm like, I'm like, why are you so mean? You're so mean. Um, over and over and over again, and then eventually she leaves. Um, so yeah. Okay, so spoilers on for the Vast of Night. I'm gonna keep that in. Yep. Um, so spoilers on for the Vast of Night. That was not the Vast of Night trailer. It, it was not. No. <laughs> Aliens, why are you so mean? <laughs> um, so yeah. Oh, you're so pretty. Okay. Anyway, so the vast of night. So we didn't really talk much about the plot itself. So there's this mysterious, uh, like radio transmission that is, it's uncovered that it is like a alien transmission. Um, and I really like the kind of X filesy and twilight zoney way that it handles it because it's a very grounded, like 
authentic uh, to like what I would imagine a public reaction would be to it or, or um, contained to like two people. So how'd you feel about the actual plot and substance of the movie of the, the radio transmission and everything? You know, uh, my first uh, gut reaction when, like when I first finished it was uh, I was kind of let down by the ending um, I thought it was, and I think I wrote this on Letterbox. It was a little too uh, Simpsons reference to uh, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully, people get that reference. Um, <laughs> if you don't, yeah, she is definitely going to bite you. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Um, Pizza, it's okay. But looking back, I I don't know what I would have done differently. Um, you know, the the ending is really just kind of ambiguous. Like, I, d- I don't think I needed, like, the aliens being shown or uh, some kind of reveal of, like, what their plot is or, you know, what what mm. is really going on. Right. But I, I really enjoyed the kind of... Um, uh, not subtle, but just ambiguous way that it that it ends and the way that it's handled yeah um the kind of thing that stood out to me like in the ending when they get like evaporated or whatever yeah um was that it felt like it felt really satisfying to me uh like for me it it at first i felt that same way like i felt kind of let down like okay that's it but um what i really enjoyed about it was that it's kind of showing them to be pretty naive. Um, and it, it, like, they're both really interesting and well-drawn characters and very, you know, smart characters in this story, but they just overlooked the fact that the aliens take the people when they're alone or they're off on their own. And like, they are so wrapped up in actually like documenting this and, and going after it and finding out what's happening and everything that they kind of just ignore that detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's ultimately their downfall. And I, I just, I like that as a thing, um, as a way to kind of close the book on the, on the movie. Um, yeah. I, I dug it. I, um, and yeah, I, I like that their, the central mystery was, uh, basically boiled down to just this cryptic, uh, audio sound, Mm-hmm. Um, that they are hearing, they don't like, you know, they don't, it's not some massive government conspiracy or something. Right. It's not, uh, you know, aliens living among us or maybe that was kind of implied. I don't know. I, it, it's kind of ambiguous, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I took it to just me, just be like a straightforward alien abduction thing. Yeah. Um, I loved how it kind of paid homage to close encounters of the third kind at the end. Um, and it just felt like that, that type of story. Um, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I appreciated it for it. Um, also just the visual effects of the spaceship were really just impressive, especially for, a relatively small indie movie. Yeah, the you can you can definitely see where the money was spent in this and I think it was yeah. pretty wisely spent. I mean, this probably should have been brought up in non-spoilers, but right. like there's there's really no names here. There's no actors here that anyone has ever heard of. 
right. that I have anyway. Um, there's no, uh, I, I guess I kind of, you could sort of liken it to like Ari Aster's debut or, yeah. um, uh, what's his name? The witch. Oh, um, um uh, is it Robert Eggers? Yeah. 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 Um, so there's, there's not just like a, a random A-lister in here that right. could have, and, and I don't think it would have, it, it definitely doesn't need it. I mean, the, the actors that are in there did, both did a really great job and I, I'm looking forward to what they do next too. I um, 100% agree. They, yeah. they were both just outstanding. Um, especially, yeah. um, What's her name? Faye. She was. Yeah. She she has that one long take scene where it's just all her and she's interacting with the switchboard and people are calling in. Yeah. She's got a, a really long take mm-hmm. scene that was really impressive. Just overall, how she did it. Yeah, Sierra McCormick is the actress's name, and she did a fantastic job. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Anyway, I I don't. I'm I'm glad that there aren't any like distracting big name actors in this that would right you know kind of take away from from the uh overall the feeling of it. Yeah. I uh I agree. And I I like I said and like we said I really hope that uh I'm really eager to see what he does next. What what Andrew Patterson does next because I mean this was just a home run. Yeah. Um such a home run. Like yeah. I saw one review, I forget exactly where it was, but uh, it said something along the lines of, speaking of uh, drive-in movie theaters, mm. this is this would be a good one to see at the drive-in. Yeah. But you can't do that because it's on Amazon. Right. Um, yeah. Unless you, like, hijack a, a drive-in and play Amazon Prime yeah. from the projector. Or... <laughs> You park somewhere and just put your phone on the dashboard <laughs> and watch it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, what did you rate it on Letterboxd? I, so while you're pulling that up, I rated it four stars. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm probably gonna rewatch it at some point relatively soon, I think. Um, just really, really, um, really solid debut. Very, impressive debut um and i uh had a thought but I, I don't remember what it was um yeah so what was your rating on oh that's what i was oh. going to say sorry um i was going to write a review for the website but i just never got around to it so that's why it, it's same here there. yeah uh yeah i was also four stars nice uh and yeah i would i would also i probably will watch it again before the end of the year uh, it's only 91 minutes. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Uh, it's a pretty breezy 91 minutes too. So, totally. Totally. Uh, I would say right now it's a top 10. Yeah. Movie. Oh, <laughs> it totally a top 10 for me, but also this year. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably something we could do a whole episode on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, so yeah, so that's our review of vast, the vast of night. Go check it out on Amazon prime. Really, really just impressive movie. 
And uh, can't wait to see what Andrew Patterson and the rest of the everyone involved in that movie do next, because it's a very impressive uh, micro-budget sci-fi movie in the vein of The Twilight Zone. So, um, yeah, if you liked it, check out Anthology, my solo podcast about The Twilight Zone and science fiction uh, television. So, are you ready to review our next movie in this episode, Ben? Let's do it. Okay, so... Let's get on the ferry. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Uh... So, we're going to review The King of Staten Island next. Uh, of course, we're going to do non-spoiler and spoiler review. Um, per IMDb, The King of Staten Island, uh, plot summary is, Scott has has been a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died. He spends his days smoking weed and dreaming of be- being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first steps forward in life. Uh, this movie is directed uh, by Judd Apatow and written by Judd Apatow, uh, Pete Davidson, and Dave Cyrus, and uh, stars Pete Davidson, Bill Burr, uh, Marissa Tomei, and Maud Apatow, and Belle Pauly. Um, so, yeah, so Ben, how did you feel about The King of Staten Island? What were your expectations going in? Um, and how do you feel about Judd Apatow as a filmmaker? Um, my expectations were, uh, low to medium, I guess I would say. Um, Mm. I didn't really know a whole lot about it other than it was, I mean, most of Judd Apatow's things are like, you know, fictionalized versions of whatever actor he chooses to star in them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um... As for Apatow overall, you know, I, I looked at this after I had watched it and I realized mm-hmm. uh, I have seen all of his movies except for Trainwreck. Okay. Um, and I think I saw the first, like, five or ten minutes of Trainwreck and uh, didn't for whatever reason. Okay. Um, but Apatow, I... I I would definitely say he's an acquired taste. Yeah. Um, he had, I, I'm a big fan of his earlier movies, like 40 mm-hmm. year old virgin and knocked up. Yeah. Um, but his more recent ones, like, um, what, this is 40, this is 40 funny people, funny people. Um, those I could, you know, I, I saw them once and have no desire to watch them again. Yeah, um, this is forty is is a, is kind of where I got off of the Judd Apatow train. Yeah, um, just it just did nothing for me. Would and you maybe, say it was a train wreck? <laughs> I uh, it knocked me up. No, um, so uh, but no, it like that's where it just felt like I didn't have a road into it. Like it maybe it's because it's about people in their forties. But also it just, it didn't do anything for me. Right. Um, and then train wreck, I remember being like thinking it was just okay. Like I'm not a, uh, oh my God, what is her name? Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer fan. I thought she did a good job. I liked the kind of reversal of like the rom-com tropes in it. Like Bill Hader, uh, um, takes on kind of the, kind of the, I don't know. It. I don't remember enough of it to really voice my opinion on it. <laughs> but I do remember that. Well, I think LeBron James was like the the to, uh, not token, but the uh, the rom com best friend character. Yeah. Uh, which I which I appreciated. But yeah. But I mean, 
I was a huge fan of Knocked Up and and Forty Year Old Virgin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I, uh, yeah. So what were your expectations? Like, were you excited about it or anything? Um, I I was going to see it. I knew that. Um, so, uh, I was, you know, I watching it. It really made me realize just what Judd Ap- Judd Apatow's thing is Mm -hmm. he has a very clear style and a very clear uh uh movie that he wants to do yeah and i i really was able to see that in this Mm -hmm. um because i mean like i said i had seen all of his movies before but i just hadn't really paid attention to you know what he does and what he how he likes to tell his stories and okay. the the kind of style that he has. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really have expectations, I guess. Nice. Um, hmm. you have, had you seen the earlier 2020 Pete Davidson movie before this? I did. I just watched that like last week. Yeah, actually. Um, I thought it was okay. I mean, as far as like Pete Davidson is concerned, I don't like, I mean, I don't have a strong opinion about him, mm-hmm. um, but every single thing that I've seen him in feels like it's just Pete Davidson. Right. Like, there's no range. And that's the same with this movie, really. Um, but Big Time Adolescence was definitely like a Pete Davidson as Pete Davidson right. um, yeah. movie. <laughs> How yeah, do you his, feel about it? His character in that is pretty much the same as this one. Oh, absolutely. Um Really, the only difference is like, uh, maybe he's a little bit older in that in big time adolescence. Right. Maybe I don't uh-huh. know. Um, but I, I liked him in that in big time adolescence, but that was about it. The, mm-hmm. the rest of the movie I could take or leave. Yeah. Um, and I have seen him. It's, it's been a long time since I've watched Saturday Night Live with any frequency right but the few times that i remember seeing him on that i i liked him i thought he was a different kind of voice and a different kind of vibe that than they what they normally go for so Mm -hmm. um i i like seeing him pop up and things um this he he's pretty solid in um he's he's a pretty surprisingly decent dramatic actor mm-hmm. um but it's it's the pete davidson show basically yeah um and i really i really liked i'll go into i really liked the king of staten island um, okay on Le- i haven't logged it on letterbox yet but i'm going to give it four stars um i was surprised how much i liked it because i might be three and a half stars we'll see but um <laughs> I was surprised how much I liked it because I was expecting, like you said, the Pete Davidson show. And I was expecting that going in what I, and what I was hoping for. I wouldn't say that I wasn't expecting it, but what I was hoping I would get out of it was a more nuanced kind of personal, uh, story and personal exploration of his character and everything, which thankfully since (laughs) that's going to sound shitty, but, um, thankfully since semi-autobiographical story um he was able to tap into that and like you said he i thought he did a good job at the dramatic uh dramatic parts of the movie yeah um 
some of the stuff with like his like general persona, like the Pete Davidson aspect of it was a little bit grating, but I thought that the bond between him and Bill Burr and the kind of rift that forms and like the kind of just general um uh timeline of the movie or the general arc that he goes through throughout the movie was really pretty pretty well handled and well done. Hmm. Yeah. Um I yeah, think we're going to have to agree to disagree on nice. this one. I gave it 3 stars and I mm. I think I considered going a little bit lower. Oh, interesting. Um, I I just it's mostly him and then Bill Burr is great. Uh mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei plays his mom. Mm-hmm. Um and she's great as well. Um pretty much everyone surrounding him is great. Um but it's for me it was just Pete Davidson for you know an hour and 40ish minutes mm-hmm. just being a dick. Yeah. And, he, yeah. And I know that that's, you know, Judd Apatow's thing of like mm-hmm. uh, a man child kind of thing. That's that's really his MO. Yeah. Um, but there was just too much of it. There was just wasn't enough of it for me to get behind liking him or mm-hmm. caring about him for the inevitable turnaround where you're supposed to like him or like <laughs> where he ends up. Um it's just so much of him just being an asshole. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's there's ways that you can do that and have it be successful, but I don't think this was it. Okay. That's, that's really interesting because I can definitely get behind that and I can definitely respect that. But I, I don't know. For some reason, it just it spoke to me. Like, there, he is a complete asshole in this movie for the majority of it, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, the tattoo thing, <laughs> all the tattoo things, yeah. um, the bread thing, um, we'll talk more in spoilers, but like all of that stuff is, and it's of minimal consequence to him. Like he doesn't, right. his growth throughout the movie is more in his interpersonal relationships and not really about him like confronting his just shitty attitude and everything per se, which is also kind of part and parcel with. Judd Apatow movies. Right. Um, like it kind of blows my mind that like you said, like it's, he's deals with like man child characters and stuff. And it's, I'm thinking like his entire filmography is for the most part is like the man child series. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then I started thinking of like, Oh, okay. A reviewed series that we could do. And <laughs> stuff. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I, but I, I just really kind of, kind of dug it. I, I really, I really tapped into that, dramatic element of it. And I like, for whatever reason, I wanted to see him succeed, um, in the movie. Okay. Um, and wanted to see his growth and everything. I um, just like, there's, there were just so many opportunities for him to not be an asshole or do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And he, for whatever reason, doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that is more authentic to an extent. So, like, when he is faced with something that's like, okay, well, he doesn't need to be an asshole here, but he is an asshole. That's, I feel like that's a good, like, um, authentic view of, of that type of character that he's, like, he is not apologetic or anything, but not mm-hmm. in a way that it's like, um, like, he's not, he's not offensive for the sake of being offensive. Like, the baseball scene where he's, 
talking just very loudly at a bunch of firefighters about how firefighters should not have families and everything like that. That is like offensive to them and it's disrespectful to them and everything, but it comes from a place of he is the living embodiment of why like he, right. like he views himself as being like, this is what happens when firefighter has a family because the firefighter is not always going to come home. And when he doesn't come home, that life that he created is fucked up beyond all recognition for the rest of his life. Right. Um, so like, I and- do appreciate that. Uh, I, I do understand. I understand where you're coming from. I should say. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I got that scene uh, in terms of why he would say that or why he would act out that way. Um, I I totally understood where he was coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I forget if this was in the plot description, but yeah, he his dad uh, passed away. He was a firefighter and he passed mm-hmm. away when he was, I think, seven. Yeah. Um, and so he's always had this resentment towards... Uh, his dad and firefighters and, um, so I, which I learned afterwards, that's, uh, another autobiographical thing. Pete Davidson's Mm -hmm. dad died during 9-11 as a firefighter. And, uh, so I, I can, I can see how he was able to tap into that Mm -hmm. and, uh, felt, especially knowing like, I don't know for sure how much of Judd Apatow's movies are improvisational. Right. But I mean, you can, there's definitely moments where you can see where, Oh yeah. Where they were improvising. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't know from scene to scene, like how much of it was written down in the script versus, you know, they, they had a general idea of where they were, Mm-hmm. gonna start out a scene versus where it was gonna end up and so all of, like the the baseball scene where that how much of that was written down versus what he improvised so uh if it was improvised then i mean more credit to him it was a really well acted uh scene yeah um that's a good question my understanding of his technique of judd apatow's kind of approach to it at least back in like the knocked up and 40 year old virgin days Mm -hmm. is that he like it's a complete script it's it's fully scripted and everything but he'll do a take he'll when he gets what he wants he'll let the actors do a take or two of just improvisation okay um so i that's it's hard to say what uh what was improv and what wasn't but it was definitely um I feel like it's safe to bet that the actual like plot of the movie was, was plotted out pretty closely. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's definitely a scene or two here where, uh, like the, the 40 year old virgin scene where they're like, you know how I know you're gay. Oh yeah. There's, there's definitely a scene or two of that kind of improvisational, just riffing. Yeah. Uh, which that, that was another thing that I, didn't really care for with this movie is that it's just not really all that funny. You know, I agree. Like I, I definitely agree with you there, even though I really liked the movie. (laughs) Um, I didn't find it particularly that funny. Yeah. Like laugh out loud funny. There were a couple parts where I was kind of like chuckling. Um, like, (laughs) uh, there's this, I'll save it for spoilers, but there's a scene where the theme song to the office plays. 
um, that I got a really big kick out of, even though the situation was pretty uh, intense. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I just really tapped into the story of, of Pete Davidson's character, which um, Pete Davidson's father, was, his name was Scott, and Pete Davidson's character's okay. name is Scott. Yeah. Um, which is also interesting that you found all that out about his father after the fact. After you saw the movie, mm-hmm. okay. I was gonna, yeah, after, I, like after nine eleven, um, <laughs> uh, after the movie, where I went into the movie knowing that backstory, okay, or being like aware of it at least. So maybe that could account for a disconnect here. I'm I'm curious what. Well, I is. I knew, I think I had known something about his dad, like just mm-hmm. that he he had died or something, or he wasn't. Uh, I knew that. His character was very autobiographical, mm-hmm. uh, right down to like, uh, uh, there's, there's a scene or two where Kid Cudi is playing on yeah. the radio. And I read that he's one of Pete Davidson's favorite artists. So, oh, nice. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot that, that is pulled mm-hmm. from his real life. So, yeah. 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 Uh, do you want to talk about spoilers? Sure. Okay. Well, we are going to go into spoilers for The King of Staten Island. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, just go ahead and turn off the podcast and uh, come back when you watch it. So uh, here's a clip from the trailer. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Don't be. It's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. Ah! <laughs> You can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. People told me slow my road. I want to become a real tattoo artist. Your work is mad and consistent. Obama ain't right. Oh, I love your tattoos. This is my favorite. <laughs> I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're going to have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. Kelly, do you know him? He's a new friend. You okay? You know, you could tell me. I'm okay. Oh, I trained her in the car. She's not going to break. And spoilers on for the King of Staten Island. So, Ben, the robbery scene. Um, that, so, okay, let me, let me, let me, let me first just disclose the controversial thing that happened when I watched the movie today. Uh So on Letterboxd, I have a list where I'm (laughs) tracking the, the cats that I see in movies, (laughs) each, each movie that I see a cat in that I watched this year. Um, so in that scene, when Pete Davidson runs away, there's a shot of the the street and a police car turns onto the street and in front of the car is a an animal of some kind four legs looks like it's a cat <laughs> could possibly be a dog hmm. and also could possibly be a possum i went ahead and added it <laughs> to what i've called Credit to Matt and Draco uh, for naming this, but I've called the list the Letterbox Litterbox 
2020. So I posted on social media just to get ahead of the controversy. I know that this is probably <laughs> maybe wrong. It could be, I could get canceled for this, <laughs> but I also want to mention that his friend, when he's in jail, references his cat that mm. he needs to, like Pete Davidson needs to go and feed him like oh, yeah, yeah. a bunch of times. Uh-huh. So I think that that's, I think that that gives me like some leeway there. So my question to you, Ben, do you think it was a cat or a dog? Um, or a possum. Since I have zero desire to ever watch this movie again, I <laughs> will agree with you okay. and say that it's a cat. The and rental as a Patreon uh, supporter, <laughs> yes, I will allow it. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, I was gonna say I still have like thirty six hours left on my rental. I can <laughs> I can go to it here and here on my Chromecast, and we can dissect it. Um, the scene, not the cat or dog. Um, yeah, no. Okay, okay. Um, so, anyway, uh, the robbery scene. That was a weird shift in tone for me. Yeah. Um, it got very, like, intense. And I did like the comedy of, of Pete Davidson calling them each, each time yeah. and, like, right. everything. That's what the, the office theme song plays. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Um, how'd you think, how'd you feel about that element of the, of the movie? Uh, yeah, I, I did laugh, uh, at that, um, just the way, I guess the way that it played out. But again, it's just another instance of him just being an asshole yeah. to his friends who could have all died in that mm-hmm. moment where he's just like dicking around on his phone and it mm-hmm. could have easily been avoided. Well, and, yeah, I guess I'll I'll fight you on that. Um, okay. So my kind of read of that, I thought it was an, a pretty like clever misdirect from from my perspective because I was expecting it to be like, oh, he's dicking around on his phone, he's not going to notice something, and they're going to get caught or something, and then he's going to flee. But what happens is that. He is dicking around on his phone, but there are people in the building. Like, there was no way that he was going to be able to prevent that. Oh, yeah. Um, except for, you know, calling them and giving away everything. Um, and there was no way that he could, like, get the door open because they had locked it from the inside. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so, so I'll, I'll give you friction on that, but I definitely understand that, yes, he's an asshole. Like, he, I don't know. Um, what, I, this, this may have been something that I missed, but, were they in the building to begin with or did they did the people the owners of the building like pull up when he had his back turned they were in the building to begin with okay yeah because the uh the friends i didn't even catch any of their names really but the friends they locked the door <laughs> one of them locked the door from the inside and uh cuz one of them was like why did you lock the door when they're trying to get out and he's like i didn't want people to come in <laughs> um but yeah the the people in the building were in the back room okay yeah one of his friends, uh, fun little trivia fact, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you noticed this as well, is uh, Moises Arias from, mm-hmm. was it Hannah Montana? Or oh. uh, one of those Disney Channel early okay. 2000 shows. Um, yeah. I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, he, he plays, he's uh, he's the one friend when he's trying to tattoo the kid. Yeah. One friend who's like trying to talk him out of it. Right. He's uh he plays Igor. Yes. Um he was also in The Kings of Summer, which is a movie I really need to see. 
Oh, he was also in Monos, which I yes. also really need to see. Um, yeah, I I did not know he was in that when I saw it, but yeah, uh, yeah he's crazy. Nice. Uh, Pitch Perfect 3 as well. Um, <laughs> wow, he has a pretty impressive uh, IMDb. Um, and, of course, Hannah Montana for 76 okay. episodes. Um, yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that, that scene didn't uh, bother me. What did kind of bother me about it is that I felt like, and this could be more to your point and to your viewpoint of the of the movie itself, but what I didn't really like is how it didn't really uh, hit him in his life with any real severity. Yeah. Like that, and then just really, it, it kind of just seemed like he's just going along, and, and he, like turns like he turns turns his life around but it's not nothing really sticks out as something that happens to cause him to do that like except for a more gradual like getting out there with the the fire uh the firefighters and everything um so yeah so that that felt a little clunky to me one thing that i uh realized again after i watched this is uh, one of the bigger knocks against Judd Apatow is that his mm-hmm. movies are almost all very unnecessarily long. Yeah. And so I feel like that robbery scene could have been one that just didn't need to be in it at all. Yeah, yeah. It didn't have much uh, payoff of, yeah. of really any kind like yeah. i got really excited when his friend was like you need to feed my cat and everything because i thought oh we're gonna get a scene with a cat <laughs> but no that just doesn't do anything hmm. um but but yeah um i did appreciate like at that moment in that time when he gets kicked out of the house and he's trying to find uh places to stay and everything like when he goes and hooks up with um Belle Powley? Yeah. His girlfriend? Uh, Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she, like, calls him out. It's like, did you just come to fuck me so that you can <laughs> live here? Like, did you, like, uh, I don't remember exactly what she said. Right, yeah. Did you, yeah, I don't know. Um, and yeah, like, and I like that it's just, like, people call him out for his shit and then, uh, they don't, like, it's, I appreciate that it wasn't, like, a, a thing where, um, where he like she relents and lets him like live with her for a while um so i do like the struggle of it and everything i just felt like the payoff toward the end just didn't really pay off in in a really meaningful way which is also kind of okay with me it's a very complicated reaction that i have (laughs) with it um yeah so i had how do you feel about other parts of the movie um you know this is uh, something that I wanted to ask you, like, mm. so the, the opening image is, or the opening scene, I guess, is Pete Davidson driving and he like turns the radio up mm-hmm. and he all of a sudden like closes his eyes while he's driving yeah, and speeds up. And then at the last second he opens them and like, he almost commits suicide, I guess. Right. And, they're so it's setting you up to think that this is a guy who is like 
borderline suicidal. Right. And yes, he's he admits very freely, like he's got, I think he says like ADHD. Yeah. And he's got just he's got so many like mental issues, but mm-hmm. It doesn't really touch on him being suicidal anymore the rest of the film. I agree. So it's kind of random how mm-hmm. it starts that way. It, and it doesn't make much sense. I, you know, I I agree. And like that opening scene is really what kind of hooked me into the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really, it's a really good introduction to the movie. And like he does talk about his mental issues and stuff. And like a lot of the other things in the movie, there's not much to pay off on it, um, except that he kind of, you know, grows into a more uh, decent human being by yeah. the end of the movie. But you're right. They they don't really follow up on that all that much. Um, I guess you could argue that immediately after that is when it kind of follows up on it because, like, he immediately, like, puts on his seatbelt and everything. And that also feels like that... Uh, that belonged like later in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. As kind of like the pivot point for him as a character. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, like I said, he does talk about his mental struggles mm-hmm. later on, but it's almost always in a, like a joking, self deprecating manner. Yeah. Um, so you never really take him all that seriously. Right. And, you know, I guess that that for some people that is kind of a a way that they deal with it, but there's never there there's no it just feels disconnected from the rest of the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll agree with you there. I'm very curious how I'll feel um, whenever I revisit it. Whenever I revisit the movie, because that is that is a pretty glaring. Uh, uh, disconnect for for the rest of the movie. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, so by the end of the movie, he kind of, he just, okay. So what, what I liked about the movie and his growth as a character is that when he starts to bond with the fire firefighters and everything, I thought that it was going to lead to a moment where he, I thought of, I thought it was going to lead to a few different things. I thought that one of the firefighters were going to die and that would yeah. like set him off and everything. Um, I'm kind of glad that that didn't happen just because it would have been a little too dramatic. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I thought was that he was going to learn to like love this type of thing. Like this was going to be his, his thing. Like he was going to become a firefighter, like his dad. And that was like, what was missing from his life was this like thing, um, and everything, which would have been hard to sell given the character. Um, but then it's kind of left open ended. So maybe that happens, but I did like the kind of, um, uh, the juxtaposition of him, him going in, in indicative of the growth of growth of his character, but him going to the tattoo place and wanting to be an apprentice and everything. And like the guy being like, well, you're going to be our bitch and everything and do all this stuff. Yeah. And then he ends up doing that for the firehouse and everything. And, um, I don't know. I just, I, I liked that dichotomy that, that growth of his character I thought was, was pretty well done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will say I liked, um, cause for most of the movie, he has this dream of 
being a tattoo artist mm. and uh, <laughs> yeah. opening a tattoo restaurant. Yes. Which is just... The I, dumbest I, idea. <laughs> yeah. I like that touch, I guess. Yeah. But he is... I guess it's a a little bit of a nuanced thing where he's he's not like this secret tattoo protege just right. like waiting to be discovered. Like his drawings suck and <laughs> his do. tattoos suck yeah. and all his friends tell him that. But and then like later on like he does the 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 superhero drawing for Bill Burr's kid. Yeah. And it's actually, it's not bad. Right. So it's, I thought that was kind of weird how mm. it was a little bit of a sudden turnaround, how he, uh, and then he does all those tattoos for Bill Burr. Yeah. And they're not terrible. Like they're, they're not terrible, as terrible as the ones that he has done on his friends. Right. Um, but they're almost too good. You oh, know? you think so? So I, I don't know. Yeah. They're not great, but they're not, you know, it, you don't see that progression of him getting better as a tattoo right. artist. It kind of comes out of nowhere. That's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, and I, and I agree with that. The thing about that that I was disappointed in was that I, I thought that it was going to lead to a place where, like, the reveal of the tattoo was going to be, like, the ice flash thing. Mm-hmm. It was going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, him as a hero and everything. But I did like the kind of family portrait aspect of the tattoo. Right. What I didn't like is that he, like, he just did the, like, everything that he said not to do. Yeah. Um, and there's no, like... That's it. Like, there's no, like, there, we don't get a scene, I don't think, where Bill Burr, like, finds out or whatever, and there's not, like, that leads to nothing. And it's just, it's a comedic beat that doesn't really land for me. Yeah. So, yeah. It's um, also just another instance of him being a dick. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but by the end of the movie, he, like, he's, he's coming, he comes into his own and he goes to, uh, um, Kelsey's, Kelsey. um, side when she's going to take her test for the municipal whatever right um and i liked the note that it ended on the fact that like he's like he he's he's going to stay there while she while she takes the test and everything and like it's even though it's going to be like three and a half hours he's still going to be like he's going to be around for her and everything i thought that was a nice touch and a kind of a more low-key like thing where it's it wasn't a big huge gesture or anything it was just like right. this thing that shows how much he's grown so he didn't have you know. some cheesy monologue about exactly why, why he likes her or yeah anything. yeah I, just, I, <laughs> I like their chemistry him Me too. and uh the actress yeah like the like he didn't he didn't run up to her house and knock on the door when it's raining <laughs> and say like i just i wanted to be a tattoo artist but i just i just i what i learned was that you're the needle in my tattoo gun or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, Oh, uh, one thing I want to shout out is that there's a scene where he goes on the, on a run with, with the crew when he's in the firehouse and everything, he goes, he goes with them on a call. And I just, I, I like, I tweeted this and I was like, um, <laughs> the music that plays is the song. Uh, I think it's your hand in mine by explosions in the sky. Yeah. which explosions in the sky is amazing and they like scored um friday, friday night, night lights. lights yeah friday night lights um 
And I've just, I've been in love with their music ever since. And so I was just like, when I, when that, when I heard that song playing, I was like, okay, okay, okay. The King of Staten Island. Like this is, this is how, this is your way into my heart right now. Yeah. Definitely a Um, positive in their direction. Yeah. And that scene was really well done. Like I, I, like I said, I expected it to end in like an, like I expected that to end in like an injury or a death of one of the firefighters, but it was a good way to kind of show Pete Davidson's character, like the actual, like, like actually seeing the hero, uh, the heroism of the firefighters in, yeah. in that context. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else about thinking of Staten Island? Um, one thing that it's pretty trivial, but one thing that kind of bugged me is that, uh, Marissa, so Marissa Tomei plays his mom mm-hmm. and she's great. Of course yeah. her, I like her chemistry with, uh, Bill Burr, mm-hmm. but, she's got these ridiculous glasses and this ridiculous wig. <laughs> yeah. And I know that it's, it's another autobiographical thing between, uh, Pete Davidson's real mom, but okay. you can't convince me that Pete David and that, uh, Marissa Tomei would be single and not even go on a date for yeah. 17 years. I don't care if she's got a ridiculous <laughs> wig and glasses on. Right. It's Marissa Tomei. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole time I was watching, I was thinking like, um, I, I was, I was thinking like, she was like, they're trying so hard to make her not beautiful. Like she was uh-huh. in the Spider-Man movies and it's like, she's still Marissa Tomei. So yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So where did, I'm probably still going to rate it four stars and, uh, where did you land on it? Three. Three. Okay. Um, yeah. So that I guess is our review of, uh. The King of Staten Island. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so do you want to round us out with some potpourri? Sure. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to go into our potpourri section, which is, a uh, closing out the episode where you talk about, uh, stuff we've watched, stuff we're looking forward to and everything. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, potpourri, what, uh, no matter whatever it was, I don't remember what the phrase is. <laughs> um, Whatever we want, as long as it smells good. Potpourri. So I'll get us kicked off with, I have one thing. Um, so, huh, um, what am I going to actually bring up? I don't remember if I said this on the podcast before, but I watched, um, the wrong Missy. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, okay. So happy Madison. I'm not a fan of, I'm not <laughs> a fan of Adam Sandler, his shtick or Adam Sandler's friends essentially. <laughs> So I had no interest in watching this movie except for the fact that it has Lauren Lapkus, who I'm a fan of from her podcasting appearances and stuff. So like, like the show she does with Scott Ackerman and Paul F. Tompkins, Freedom is one of my favorite podcasts out there. And I love her work on Comedy Bang Bang and everything. So I was like, okay, well, I'll watch it and, uh, um, just, just to see Lauren Lapkus in a movie. Um, and she, I will say she did a good job. She is playing this just very heightened and, um, uh, just crazy character, um, that is just like ridiculously over the top. And she goes for it and she does, she does a very 
good job of just capturing the absurdity of this character and everything. A crazy over the top character in an Adam Sandler or happy <laughs> Madison movie. <laughs> yes. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, happy Madison's, uh, um, version of Judd Apatow's man child. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but it's like the movie itself is ridiculously dumb and incredibly juvenile. It's not good. It's stupid. Um, there's, um, there's a subplot involving Missy, played by Lauren Lapkus, hypnotizing David Spade's boss. Like the plot of the movie is that David Spade meets, he, it opens with him on a first date with Missy, played by Lauren Lapkus. And the date's horrible. She's terrible and everything. And he never sees her again. Then like three months later, he meets some, uh, another woman and hits it off perfectly. She's like the dream woman, but he accidentally, like he is, uh, is invited to a corporate retreat because again, happy Madison, like they just, uh, want to have a vacation and film a movie. (laughs) Yep. Um, so which to be fair, if I was in their position, like I would probably do the same thing. But also have some kind of creative, like, inspiration. Spend or your money in other ways. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so anyway, he texts the wrong Missy and, uh, Lauren Lapkus shows up and wreaks havoc. But there is a, there's a bit where she hypnotizes David Spade's boss and it's like, it's just, it's dumb. And yeah, I, I, after I edit this episode and release it, I will be, I feel like I'd be comfortable saying I will not think about this movie again <laughs> until I inevitably listen to this episode out of boredom. Um, so yeah, so that's the wrong Missy. It's on Netflix. <laughs> um, I gave it two stars just because Lauren Lapkus, I felt, did elevate it, um, what otherwise would have been a completely miserable movie. And, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, but everything else is just super flat, uninspired, and, you have the basic plot element of it, and I guarantee that uh, the majority of people listening to this who haven't seen it will be able to guess every single plot <laughs> point because it is the most like generic. Like, oh, this is this is this uh, storyline that we've seen hundreds of times, but we're gonna do it because we want to go on vacation, right? So yeah. Um, did you ever see the uh, Between Two Ferns movie last year? I, I did. Uh, I did. I, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. Um, it was solid. She's in that too, and she's yeah. great. Oh, yeah. So. She's great. Um, the, <laughs> uh, Between Two Ferns and Marriage Story were both Netflix movies that came out in 2019, and both feature a scene. Like, okay, Between Two Ferns, the movie, features a scene where Lauren Lapkus's character has a trumpet when they're on a boat and she tries to play it and plays it terribly. And then marriage story has a scene where Charlie played by, uh, um, Adam driver opens a present and it's a trumpet and he plays it badly. Mm. Like I thought that was a very weird, uh, coincidence and everything. So do you think they're in the same universe? I do think they're in the same universe. I, uh, yeah. Yep. Maybe um, the uh, extended version of Between Two Ferns is when uh, Zach Galifianakis interviews Scarlett Johansson's character. Yes. Oh God, that would be <laughs> awesome. Nice. So that is that is awesome. Um, I was also thinking that it, uh, there could be like a scene in Between Two Ferns where um, 
or no, 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 a scene in Merit's story when they're in the apartment and they're yelling and Adam Driver's like, I was hot shit. I was in, um, Time Out New York. Um, and I was in my twenties. Like, I just, um, like if someone dubbed it over or whatever and had him say like, I was on Between Two Ferns. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway. That sounds like something Netflix could do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, get on it, Netflix. Um, <laughs> so that's my potpourri, The Wrong Missy. Don't watch it. It's not good. Um, yeah. But good job, Lauren Lapkus. Uh, super happy to see her in movies and everything. Um, yeah. So, Ben, what do you have for potpourri? I'm going to assume that you're going to bring up the movie that we agreed to watch and that <laughs> I didn't get around to watching, even though we... We rescheduled recording like twice, <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I will. Okay. If, but uh, if only because I am most excited to talk about it uh, nice. out of the other recent movies that I've watched. Okay. Uh, and that is Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Yep. The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. Um got that clean for you <laughs> thank um, you <laughs> and uh you just i you posted a review and i published it today when oh. i should have been watching the movie but uh yeah so yeah uh, i'd say that's more important <laughs> yeah. um nice so uh sticking with netflix yeah spike lee's mm-hmm. to five bloods uh out there on netflix now um it's uh i'll read the plot description mm-hmm. Four African-American Vietnam veterans return to Vietnam. They are in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader and the promise of buried treasure. These heroes battle forces of humanity and nature while confronted by the lasting ravages of the immorality of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd say I'm uh, not really a neophyte on Spike Lee, but I've... Okay. Probably seen less than half of his movies, mm-hmm. but I the ones that I have seen I I really enjoy. He's a really, uh, really solid, inventive, creative filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, who uh, I need to watch more of his stuff. But um, I I gave this four stars. I enjoyed it. Nice. I liked it a lot. Um, the uh, it's, when you hear the plot description, you kind of think that it's one of those, like, uh, like, middle-aged guys that try to act young kind of movies, mm. um, kind of like, I don't know, like Wild Hogs or, <laughs> yeah. uh, The Bucket List or something, mm-hmm. um, there's probably more examples, but those are the two that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really more nuanced than that, and it's more thoughtful than that. Okay. Um, so the uh, titular five bloods are Delor- Delroy Lindo, mm-hmm. Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr., uh, and then... Jonathan Majors plays, uh, Delroy Lindo's son. Um, and then, so Chadwick Boseman is also in it. Um, Jean Reno, Gene Reno, uh, uh Jean Reno. Yeah. yeah. He has a small role. Paul Walter Hauser is in it. So it's a really solid cast all around. I, I was really impressed with it. Um, just even these smaller parts, um, 
it's it's uh really great um but i i just liked the style that spike lee told this story with um it kind of goes back and forth between the uh the time that these guys were in the war and when they were when they're currently in it when they're searching for their their friends remains um and a, a really interesting decision that Spike Lee made was um, he, during those flashback moments, the younger versions of these characters are played by the same actors as the older versions. So it's okay. it's kind of an interesting uh, visual and metaphorical way of doing that where it's Hmm. instead of either doing like de-aging technology or prosthetics or even just casting younger actors it's an interesting way of uh thinking about it like Hmm. these guys they they they're they never really left vietnam you know Uh, so they're not even like aged down in terms of makeup or anything right wow okay um i mean they might be clean shaved a little bit or Mm -hmm. like some of the gray hairs might be colorized or whatever, but, um, you know, that's about it. Uh, but it's a really interesting way of looking at it. And then, um, Spike Lee, he, you know, there's, there's tons of, uh, Vietnam movies out there. And, but this one is kind of the first that I have seen, where it's mostly about like the African American soldiers' mm-hmm. experience in Vietnam and just how they were treated during the war and after they came home and just kind of what they faced. Um, it's it's a really interesting kind of unique perspective that he he puts on it. Okay. Um, so uh, Delroy Lindo, he kind of. He's, he eventually, especially in like the second half, he kind of turns into the lead character, even though it's all kind of split equally amongst them. But it it ends up being a lot about him and his experience. But he's. People are hyping up his performance very highly. And I'm very excited because I'm, I'm a fan of his from, uh, uh, well, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Okay. (laughs) But also he was in, um, um, he was in Up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Malcolm X. No. The Core. Um, Point Break. The newer Point Break. Oh, God, no, I didn't see that. <laughs> um, you know what? I think it might have been the Chicago Code. Okay. Which was a TV show that did not last very long. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a really, he really stands out. I mean, the, the whole cast is pretty great, but, uh, he's, he eventually kind of takes over and he's really great. Sweet. Awesome. Well, that is available on Netflix. It is the five bloods and yeah. Do you have anything else for Patreon or for, for potpourri is the section. Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Me neither. Are you good with like, should we close out the episode? I'm good. 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, yeah, we're going to close out this episode next time on the podcast. I don't know what we're going to do, but, uh, there's plenty of content out there. Read Ben's reviews. Go to obsessiveviewer.com slash, uh, Ben dash Sears. And, uh, let's see on, on Tower Junkies, Tiny and I are reviewing Castle Rock season two. And I am slowly but surely, um, creating an environment where he will never talk to me again. <laughs> um, so check that out, towerjunkiespod.com. And then on Anthology, my solo podcast, uh, very excited. I'm going to spend pretty much all of July reviewing the new Twilight Zone season on CBS All Access. Um, very excited for those episodes. Please check that out. And then also, I just bumped the mic. And also, uh, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And uh, yeah, with, with all that said, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Oh, and I was going to make the dumb joke like, okay, so in, in your meal and everything, so so Ben wants a three-way. Um, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I've I've not had Skyline Chili. Oh, yeah, like ever. That's yeah. uh, we gotta fix that. I know. I my thing is I I hate beans. Okay. And I feel like going through the menu, I'd get a little agitated because I wouldn't be able to select certain things because of the beans. Um, uh, the chili comes without beans. So. Oh shit! A three way okay. is just uh, spaghetti, chili, and cheese. Okay. Well you, well, you heard it here first, guys. Matt Hurt is about to have a three-way. Oh, yeah. Um. <laughs> I'll come with you. <laughs> the Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. 
For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!